Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So today, say today, we're going to wrap up our series uh, called I Love My Church. Say I Love My Church. And it's been great sharing with you guys. Really, it has um, just the validity of the body of Christ, uh, what that means, you know, coming out of a a pandemic, having been shut down, you know, in 2020 for four or five months, uh, people still trying to find their footing. I was just talking to someone the other day who was a real faithful, regular uh, member and attender and, you know, just talking. And what's great about people is they know my heart. I know theirs. There's no condemnation, but they just said straight out, you know what, I just need to be back there. Every Sunday, I'm like, why am I not back there? I've gotten out of the habit. And so I know for a lot of us people, you know, we've just gotten out of the habit. But how many know that we need each other? I mean, we're all necessary. We're all part of this. And, you know, this whole series, I guess you would expect a pastor to talk about a series like this. I love my church. You need to be here. But it's not for maybe the intentions that you think. It's because I believe that we're all needed. We're all necessary, and we all play a part in bringing hope and peace to this world. And so we can only do that together. Amen? And so we've talked about how we see ourselves within the body of Christ. And so just a quick recap. The first thing we talked about was I love my church because it's the place for worship. And a lot of times when we hear that word worship, uh, we, we maybe get this mental picture of maybe music or maybe something we do for God because God wants you to worship him. But really, worship is awakening to the divine connection that's always been there. Some people, whether they go to church or not, have not really fully awakened to the connection they have with God, the connection they have to the divine, the connection they have to the source of life. In him, we live, move, and have our being. And I think it's so important. The apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, do you not realize that your body is the sacred shrine of the Spirit of God, echoing within you. You do not own your life. You are bought and paid for. All of you are his. I love that line. All of you are his. So look at this. This this next part's really important. Live your life conscious of how irreplaceable and priceless you are. See, that's hard for some people to take. But this is how God sees us. You're irreplaceable. You're priceless. Look at this. You host God in your skin. The very God of the universe is what animates us, lives within us. And and I believe what God is saying is, can I live through you? Can I live in you and through you to change the world around you? So worship really is this divine connection. And that's the first thing we need to see, not just in the church, but in life, right? Right? We talked about this almost every week, and I just thought this was such a great analogy. Pastor Chris at our campus in Florida had mentioned this, that when you, when you get onto an airplane and you take an airplane ride, and the flight attendant, they always do their little spiel in the beginning. And Has anyone ever been on a plane? So what do they, what do they say when the masks come down? What, what should you do first? Put it on yourself. Why? Because then you're better equipped to help those around you. See, that's what worship is. That's what connection's about. We first have to awaken to that connection to God because then we're better equipped to help those around us, which brings us to week two, which was about community. Say community. Community is so important. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians, Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. In him, each separate 
piece, that's you, that's me. Look at this. When properly fitted and joined together into its place, what happens? It grows together into a temple consecrated to God. You are all part of this building in which God himself lives by his spirit. So, you know, it starts with this connection that we have with God, but then it moves into this community thing. I know that's hard to understand sometimes um, or wrap our head around because we live in a culture that's all about individuals, our rights, our freedoms. I don't take any of that, you know, for granted, but I think sometimes what, we, what we've lost is the art of community. See, in the early church, even in the Jewish community, it was all about family and community and being together. Even church, even though like in church they had a rabbi that would maybe oversee or some religious leaders, everyone had a voice. Everyone had something to say and bring to the table, and they would kind of talk about that, dissect that, you know, see what that was all about. Because they all wanted one thing, eternal life. And eternal life to a Jew was living the, the highest level of life here now by Torah. Well, now when the church is living the highest level of life here and now, according to Christ, according to this new covenant that we live in, it's absolutely beautiful. And so you need community to do that. And through community, we do what we even did last week at Expo. It's called service. I love my church because it's a place where I can serve, right? It's all about service. Pete talked about this last week. And Jesus had this very famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he says this in verse 4. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, other versions say, whoever forces you. So anyone who forces you to you know, walk a mile and carry their bag, go two miles. And I, I love what Pete was saying about that. Because in that same sermon, and we talked about this a lot. You know my heart on this. Is Jesus makes, these, makes a statement that, that is just it's riveting to us especially from a Western culture where we have borders and lines and enemies, he says to love your enemy and pray for those who despitefully use you. Let me say it again. Love your enemy. I, I wrestled with that for, for years. And then one day I realized that Jesus had no enemies. Everyone was invited to his table. Didn't matter what background, what religion, what your lifestyle, you were, everyone was invited to have meals and break bread with Jesus, which in that time, um, breaking bread with someone was, was a big deal, right? It was saying that you accept that person. And so that's why Jesus got so much, you know, uh, uh, junk from the religious community. But I, I think about this. If you love your enemy, then are they really your enemy? So maybe Jesus is trying to get us to this place where we no longer have enemies. We don't see enemies because we understand, okay, that person is acting as if they're my enemy, but they're broken. They don't know who they are. And so even in this idea of a soldier who demands you to carry his gear, that was Roman law. Roman law was if a soldier sees you and he says, here, carry my gear, law said you must carry it for a mile. No more, no less. And so Jesus was up in the ante. He's saying, guess what? Go to and I love what Pete said there because imagine if you're in that culture and you see a soldier, you might duck around the corner. You're like, I don't want to carry this heavy sack that weighs 80 to 100 pounds, uh, lose time with my family, lose time you know, in my craft, making money, my business, whatever it is. But the law demanded it. And Pete said, what if it was just like the enemy thing? Jesus was literally trying to get us to a place where a mentality changed, 
where we literally weren't ducking out. We were looking for the soldier. Where we're scanning the horizon, looking for the soldier so we could volunteer to not just do one mile, but to do two. Can you see the difference? And then we bring it into the here and now. It's like someone involved in a local church who rather than waiting for an event and then someone saying, hey, will you please sign up? They're coming to you saying, what's the next event? Where's the sign-up sheet? That's the difference. That's what the love of God compels us to do. It brings us to service. So today I want to talk about this idea. I love my church because it's the place for connection. Say connection. Now I'm going to do my best today to try to bring all this together because none of this can happen. The worship, you know, uh, the community, the service, and there's a lot more facets. Of course, you can't, you know, you spend a few weeks on a series, but none of these can be done without connection. Now, let me ask you this. Is anyone familiar with Legos? Anyone? Anyone have any kids or grandkids? We all know what Lego. Anyone seen Lego movies? I mean, this thing has just grown, right? Uh, how many are familiar with the story of the Legos and, and that whole legacy. It, it's really, really fascinating. In fact, uh, Aiden and I, we watched um, on their website, you can go to YouTube and watch it. They have like a little 16 or 17 minute animated uh, short about the history. And I started reading more about the history and it was just so fascinating. It started with a man by the name of Kirk Christensen. He was born in April of 1891. He was actually a Danish carpenter. He was very skilled with his hands. Uh, I mean, this guy could just, just about make anything. And so he actually bought this woodworking shop in the early 1900s. And, um, you know, they would make furniture and different things uh, for, for households. Uh, well, then the Great Depression hit. We all are probably familiar with history, 1929, the stock market crash. Everything just went pfft. And the whole world was affected by this. And so was he. And so he ended up uh, having to let go every single uh, one of his employees, down to the last employee, gone. And to add insult to injury, not much later, he lost his wife. And so here's Mr. Christensen. He's uh, just about lost his business. He's lost his wife, and he has four children to take care of. And he's thinking, what do I do next? And so in 1932, he got this idea, and he founded a toy company. He actually had, still had his workshop, and he had all these scraps from making furniture and different household items. And so he actually began to take the scrap wood that he had kept and saved, and he began to make toys. And they sold okay sometimes and not okay other times. It was kind of an up-and-down thing. In fact, one Christmas they said that, it was kids. I mean, they needed food, right? And so he didn't get as much money as he wanted, but he was able to trade and barter for food, and they didn't go without. And so it was a really hard life. But over the course of his working life, and there's so much more, I encourage you to check out the story. It's an awesome legacy. Uh, Christensen developed his business from this small woodworking shop where it sold furniture and household products into this wooden uh, toy uh, you know, place or toy manufacturer. But then Lego would eventually, I believe it was in 1947, plastic became something that was a little bit more normal and something that he could get his hands on. And he was at this convention, I'm not sure exactly where it was, and he saw this plastic molding injection machine. And he said, you know, I know it's a lot of money, but let's try it. And that's where it all began. You know that Lego today is one of the biggest toy manufacturers in the entire world? They do uh, roughly, I, I just checked the stats, about $7 billion a year. And the net worth is somewhere around $40 billion. So they went from 
nothing. One guy who just about lost everything, lost his wife, had four children. And, and read the story. I mean, the factory burned down twice in this time, lost everything twice. I mean, if anything could be thrown at this guy, it was. And now here today, we have this legacy of this $40 billion company. But what really spoke to me was the name, say Lego. We know the name, don't we? If someone says, I, ha- I got a Lego set, we know exactly what they're talking about. If someone said, I saw the Lego movie, they know- we know exactly what they're talking about. When he was trying to think of a name for this company, he was considering two different names. One was Legeo or Legio, with the implication it meant Legion of Toys. He wanted something to do with toys. But Lego was the other one, and this actually was a self-made contraction from a Danish phrase. The Danish phrase is leg got, which is L-E-G, first word, second word, G-O-D-T, and it means play well. So he, he, he saw this, he, he really had this, this um, what's the word I'm looking for, this vision of children playing with stuff that, that they would have to be creative, they would have to learn from. I mean, he legit really wanted this, the kids to enjoy these things and to learn from them. And so he, he loved this play well. But get this, later the Lego group discovered that Lego actually could be loosely interpreted in Latin as I put together or I assemble. Come on. What are the chances, right? I put together, I assemble. Because isn't that what Legos is all about, right? That's a perfect description of a Lego block, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. How many Legos do you need to build something? One? Say no. You can't build anything with one. How many do you need? At least two. I gave you the answer. Don't tell anyone. You need at least two to build something, right? See, with, with, with two, without two Legos, there's no connection. Uh, there, there's, there's no structure. There's nothing that we can build. And if you put together several Legos, you can build anything from a house to an airplane to a Star Wars Millennium Falcon. Come on, you've been to the Lego store. Those things cost a lot of money, but apparently they're worth it to some people. Uh, my son and I were watching all this Lego stuff yesterday, and we actually saw a full-size running car made of Legos. Check it out. And it was cool. It wasn't like some janky little thing. It was a sweet ride. Legos can build just about anything. Pretty amazing, right? You see, with Legos, it's all about connection. There has to be connection. Two or more Legos connected together can build something. You know what? It sounds a lot like the body of Christ. It sounds a lot like the church. See, with one person, it's really hard to connect and build something. With two people, you can connect and do more. With three people, you can connect and do even more. With 10 people, you can connect and even do more. See, last weekend, we spent two full days, uh, some of you off and on, but all of us together. Uh, we, we brought a, some smiles, we brought some laughter, we brought some joy to children in the Fenton area. Uh, hundreds of children that came through, but guess what? One person couldn't do that. I mean, literally, we had to have at least a dozen people or more at any given time to run that. And thank God we had other volunteers from other areas like the National Honor Society kids and things like that. But you know what? You guys showed up. We had a great list of people, people who came out. And there's something about, uh, I've been studying this a lot, there's there's a science behind fulfillment that comes through giving yourself away. 
And I find that more and more in life. You know, when I was younger, it was all about me. I had dreams of stardom and I was going to be a rock star and tour. And I had the luxury of touring all over the world and playing and doing a lot of stuff. But you know, real fulfillment never came to me until I realized life's about giving yourself away. Isn't that what Jesus showed us? No greater love does a, does a man have than this than to lay his life down for another. That doesn't mean that you're, you're jumping in front of a, a bullet or a speeding car for someone all the time. Sometimes it's just laying down what you're doing in that moment to be with and help someone else. And there's such fulfillment. See, sometimes we've been sold this lie that, well, well if I give and I, and I do, well, what about me and how will I provide and how will I do? Listen, it all falls into play. All falls into place. If it's, a, it's a kingdom idea. And so again, just like these Legos have connection, the body of Christ, we need connection. I love my church because it's the place for connection. So I just want to briefly, I want to ask us a question and go through a few points today. Here's the question. How can we intentionally build and be part of a Lego church? I threw that Lego in there. In other words, a connected church. Let's make it personal. How can I, say, how can I intentionally build and be part of the church? I think a real good answer to this is through faithfulness. Say faithfulness. Now listen, when we first hear that word, we probably heard of plenty of sermons about faithfulness, but get this. Do you know that the word faithfulness in the biblical language, the original language means this, to be prepared, established, ready, stability. That's kind of a different way to look at it. See, it, it goes so much further and so much deeper than someone in a pulpit somewhere telling you, you must be faithful, you must do more, you must be more. Come on, we, we, like we, know, we know better than that, right? We live life um, inspired, right? We do things not out of obligation, but out of inspiration from the inside out. That's why we do what we do. So faithfulness, think about this. I love that the very word faithfulness means to be prepared, to be ready, to be established, to have stability, in life. How many would like a life like that? How many like to be prepared for stuff? How many like stability in life? Come on, all of us should. I'll raise both hands on that. It's like I say quite often, we can take the Bible, we can take scripture and verse as threats or as promises. You, you literally, when you go to scripture and you begin to read scripture, we, we either have the mentality of threats or promises, I must do in order to please God enough to be okay with me, or, oh, I'm already built for that, right? We can be threatened with the idea that we must be faithful, or we can see that it's a promise, right? This is a promise of who we already are in Christ. Think about this. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. How many are familiar with this, the fruit of the Spirit? Something I believe that's within all of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Think about that. Faithfulness, it's not even something that you manufacture. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, a lot of times we try to, we try to see the, the fruit of the Spirit as a list we must do. And we, I'm going to start producing fruit, and I, I call it frankenfruit. It's like not the real deal, right? It's not true Spirit-inspired fruit. Even faithfulness comes from Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? It kind of takes the pressure off, doesn't it? To realize I already have this within me. 
I already have this stability. I already am prepared. I already can be ready for things. But like anything in life, it's awakening. It's a journey of awakening to what's already on the inside. So again, we could be threatened with this idea of faithfulness, or we can see it as a promise of who we already are in Christ. And because of our connection with God, think about this, we are prepared and ready and established to be who we were called to be. This gives our life stability. So here's the question today. How can we be faithful? How can I be faithful? Let's just go through a few points here this morning. Number one, say number one. Be faithful with our time. This is a big one. Be faithful with our time. Now, some of these are really practical, and maybe they're not super deep and spiritual, but I'll be honest with you, I think everything's spiritual. So how we spend our time, how we allocate our time, what we do with our time is extremely important. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 15, he says, Take accurate stock of your life, wise conduct, defeats foolishness. Look at this. Wisdom converts time into opportunity and frees your day from slog. And I love verse 17. Listen to this. This is powerful. Make his master plan your meditation. Think about our time. During any time of the day, we're meditating on something. We're thinking about something. We're putting something into our mind, into our, 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 our mind, our will, and our emotions, that area we call the soul, right? So what are we putting in? And what kind of time are we given to certain things that maybe aren't the best for us? Again, this isn't legalism. This is following Holy Spirit. It's saying, Holy Spirit, is this, is this a wise allocation of my time? Be faithful with our time. Number two, be faithful with our attitude. Say attitude. This is a big one here. Our attitude is so important. You know, as a follower of Jesus, there's really nothing that I can do to cause God to love me any less or love me anymore. Right? I'm a dearly loved child. You can't take that away from me. On my worst day, I'm just as loved. But what I realize is that I don't have as many worse days, right? Especially in my choices and actions, not always perfect. The more that I realize I'm loved. God's love will, it will move you to make different decisions, choices, how you see yourself, how you see God, and how you see others. But our attitude is so important because many times that's the only thing that people can see, right? And I believe that we need to reflect the image of God. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.8. He says, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, say, whoa. Look at this, be tenderhearted. That's a big one. This right here is huge though, and keep a humble attitude. Say humble. Now, I have you say things a lot because it helps us remember. But humility is important. There's a portion of scripture where it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, you know, I wrestle with scriptures. I like to dig them apart because I'm like, well, well, God, why are you resisting people? Until I realize he's not resisting people. He's resisting an attitude. God resists the proud. The proud 
attitude. It's kind of like in our households. If you, if you have kids or, you know, you have grandkids, there's times where they act out and it doesn't line up with your household. Come on. Can I get an amen? But in those moments, what do we do? Proper discipline is not punishing them for their past. It's training them for their future. So what we do is we say, okay, what you're doing right now doesn't line up with who we are and with who you are. So I'm resisting that attitude. Does that make sense? So God resists those attitudes because he's like, listen, you're operating outside of your identity. In fact, the word sin in the Greek is the word hamartia, and it literally means to to operate or live outside of your true God-given identity. When we make decisions and we have sins that we do, right, that sin, that hamartia, it's because we don't know who we are. We're operating outside of who we were made to be. When we see this, the light bulb starts to go off, doesn't it? But God resists the proud, that attitude, but he brings or gives grace to the humble. And I don't believe God's going, okay, uh, you're humble, there's a little grace. Uh, You're humble, there's a little grace. Listen, God's already given us all things for life and godliness, right? In Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. A lot of times, if we're not humble, we can't receive what's already been given. And so God resists that attitude and says, humble yourself because you don't even think you need my grace right now, but you do. It's powerful. So our attitude really matters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Number three, say number three. Be faithful with our gifts and talents. Be faithful with our gifts and talents. One of my top verses. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Say each of you. See, some of us think we're not gifted, but you are. Just because it doesn't look like something shiny, something amazing, something in, you know, in front of the lights, we think, well, what about me? I, I don't have anything to give. That's why I love that the Apostle Paul describes a church as a body. And how many know, how many can see my pinky toe today? Anyone? It's there, right? How many can see my big toe? Anyone? It's there. You know that if I was missing one of those, it'd be really tough to walk. In fact, I think science says if your big toe's gone, it, you can't walk on that foot, right? So is the toe important? Yeah. See, sometimes we'd spend more time on this right here. And we don't take care of this stuff here. So what Paul's saying is that everything is essential. In fact, sometimes the parts we don't see are the most important. And so the first thing we have to realize is that I have this connection with God. And as I grow on this journey, I start to realize I've got stuff inside me. I'm gifted and I'm talented. And I have to be faithful with those things. So he says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. I love this next line. Come on, Peter, tell us. Use them well to serve one another. Now, how many times have people taken their gifts and talents and served themselves? And here we are, something written over 2,000 years ago, because just like Aaron and I were talking today, is, is even though things have changed and technologies and stuff, human beings are still pretty much thinking and doing the same things that they have done for thousands of years. That's why we have war in the Ukraine. That's why we have anger and murder and hatred, right? Complete opposite to the kingdom of God, which is all about restoration, you know, healing, 
peace, pursue peace at all costs. I mean, it's just such a different way. It goes completely against the grain of the world system. But look what he says, use them well to serve one another. See, you're needed. You're necessary. This, this church thing, which in Western culture looks like a building with maybe a cross on it, with the Sunday morning service. How many know it goes so much further than that because we're the church, so it should go outside, right, these four walls. But there's so much more to it than just this. And how many know in order to serve somebody, you have to be present? Come on. You have to be there. So I'm talking to you online. I know what you're thinking. I know some can't be here. You live in a, a galaxy far, far away, and you can't be here. I understand that. And you're blessed that you can be ministered uh, to by Faith City and the spirit of love that we have here, and that's great. But some of you know it's time. Let's get back because we need you. Number four, be faithful in our commitments. Be faithful in our commitments. I love this in Titus 2.14. It says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people. Look at this, totally committed to doing good deeds. So wait a minute. The whole reason that you showed up on planet Earth, that I can walk around completely and totally forgiven, is so that I can be committed to doing good deeds. Isn't that awesome? See, this for me... I guess it kind of destroys the idea that you pray a prayer, you get your ticket stamped, and then you go wait at a rapture bus stop somewhere so Jesus can come get you one day. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm jesting, but I'm also serious. There's something about our life here in this earth that matters. There's kingdom business that we are to do here and now. I'll be honest with you, I'm not in a hurry to leave. There's too many people that need to sense and see the love of God, who need real true hope in adversity. I mean, it's just real. Look at the world around you. People are struggling with no peace, with depression, with, you know, loss, so many different things. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you pray a prayer magically, it all goes away and it's perfect now. Wouldn't that be great? That's not true but to have the peace that surpasses all understanding in those situations. To have joy. Because how many know happiness depends on what's happening? Joy is something that we can stir up. And let me say this, not just within ourselves, but it's something that we stir up together. Right? We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's something about stirring up one another to good works, to good deeds. That's what we're here for. I love this in the Mirror Bible. It says it like this. Just listen to this. He gave himself as sacrifice in exchange for our freedom. We are redeemed from every obligation and accusation under the law and declared absolutely innocent. Say, I'm innocent. That's a great place to live from. Look at this. He defines who we are. Not you. Not even your actions. I know people struggle with this idea because they're like, well, but, but I, I don't want to do that. Of course you don't. That's outside your identity. But, you're, but, but who you truly are, what defines you, who defines you is God, not you. So you want to clean up those actions? Realize who you're defined as. Get in touch with your real true identity and you'll make different decisions. I'm telling you, it works every time. He defines who we are. Look at this. Our brand name is I am. Now, I say this often. I say, 
uh, get rid of the labels. I don't like labels. Labeling people is not something that's kingdom. Okay, but if there's one label you can put on yourself, it's this, I am. Say, I am. You're made in the image and likeness of God. That's who you are. Look at this. We are exclusively his. We are a passionate people. I love this last line. We excel in doing everything we do beautifully. Come on. Isn't that beautiful? So what have we learned so far? Number one, be faithful with our time. Number two, be faithful with our attitude. Number three, be faithful with our gifts and talents. Number four, be faithful in our commitments. And let me add this. This is really good for those of you in the grace camp, they call it, because I love the grace of God. It's the doorway into the kingdom. It's beautiful. But sometimes we get afraid of words like faithfulness or commitment because we think people are putting legalism on us. But I love this example. I think it was Dr. Lynn Hiles had said this once. He says, how can commitment be legalistic? For instance, my wife, I'm committed to her. I love her. I'm not going to cheat on her. I'm not going to go out on her. Why? Because I'm committed to her. Is that legalism? No, that's love. See, love and grace, it will bring these things out. Faithfulness, commitment. None of this is legalism. We're not a church of legalism at all. We're a church that lives by grace and by the love of God. Let God's love be your fuel for life. So commitment is so important. But number five, this is our last point. Say number five. Be faithful with our resources. Be faithful with our resources. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he's talking here about finances, you know, the financial thing. I often tell people that we have three things in life that we can give. It's time, talent, and treasure. And I say it like that because it's all T's and it sounds kind of cool. But really, it's of our time. It's, it's our talent or our gifts. And it's our money, our resources, right? So a resource here, it isn't just money. I want us to, you know, let's wipe that out of our head that the preacher wants all your money. I want you to give according to what you purpose in your heart and what Holy Spirit's leading you to do. That's how we give. But it's not just money. It's time. Sometimes giving of your time goes so much further than a few bucks will. And sometimes, I say this quite often as well, is we all have these three things to give, but at different points in our life, we have varying percentages, don't we? Sometimes we have a little more time than money. Come on. As we have a little more money than talent, come on. But whatever it is, we all have these three things and it can fluctuate. But the point is this, be faithful with our resources. Don't squander your resources. Be smart with what you do with your resources. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, this is the, this is the perfect scripture if you're looking how to give. Don't, don't go to Malachi 3.10. Okay, that's, that's law stuff that has nothing to do with it. And if you understood the tithe, the tithe was somewhere between 22 and 30%. Anyway, that's why we don't negotiate numbers. That was something under the law. In grace, we can give less or more. What is Holy Spirit speaking to you? But look at this. In verse 7, it says, let giving flow from what? Your heart. See, we should be giving from the heart. Not because someone's twisting our arm you know, under compulsion, let giving flow from your heart, all resources. Look at this, not from a sense of religious duty. See, get rid of that right now. If you only given the offering because someone told you 20 years ago, you got to give 10% in order for the devil to stay off your stuff. Why are you doing that? Maybe you should give 20. Maybe you should give five. 
Maybe you should put 5% in the offering and 5% in your savings because you have no savings. There's so many ways to go through this, right? You have to know where you are in that. And I'm not saying don't give. Listen, by all means, I mean, this organization is a 501c3. We, we run on donations. It's beautiful. You guys are great givers. But I want us to get to the sense that we just have to be faithful with our resources. And we give from the heart, not a sense of religious duty. We do it because we want to. We feel we need to. We're moved to by love. Look at this. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. Isn't that awesome? All because God loves hilarious generosity. Some translation says a cheerful giver. Are you cheerful when you give? That's, that's one litmus test to see if you're giving faithfully. Are you cheerful when you give? Look at this, verse 8. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace. Man, God is so good. Look at this, so that you will have more than enough of everything. Say everything. Now, a lot of times we get this wrapped up in the idea of money, fame, fortune, all those things. And I I made a quote a few weeks ago uh, from Jim Carrey where he said, basically, this is a paraphrase, but he says, I hope that people get everything they want, all the money, all the fame, all the fortune, every dream they ever wanted so when they get there, they can realize That's not what life's about. So this thing here he's saying is that you'll have more than enough of everything. And in fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here, it's found in the classical Greek, and it means independently wealthy, needing nothing. In every resource you have in life, needing nothing. This isn't health and wealth gospel. Okay, This isn't if you give enough and you pray hard enough, you'll have a private jet and you'll have a big house. Not against private jets and big houses, I'm just saying, let's not use God like a genie lamp. Can I get an amen? What this is saying is everything. Time, talent, treasure. Have you ever thought about that? Usually we think, well, okay, God, uh, you'll bless me with more resources, meaning money. But what about more resources like time? What about more resources like talent or gift? Come on, this, this is big. It's all needed. It's all necessary. You follow me today. He says this. He says, so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. I love this last line. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. See, what we do matters, right? And being faithful with our resources is one of those things. Because of our connection with God, we are then prepared and ready and established to be who we were called to be. This is really what this series is about. It's about that connection to God, that connection to one another, which then leads us to service, uh, good deeds, acts of kindness, helping people out, uh, looking, uh, you know, looking for opportunities to give and to sow into people's lives, whether that's time, talent, or treasure. And it gives us the ability uh, of having stability in our life. And then what we do, we walk out faithfulness with our attitudes and our gifts and our talents and our commitments and our resources. Amen? I'd like to make this final statement. I love my church because it's the place for worship. It's the place for community. It's the place for serving. And ultimately, it's the place for connection. Because without connection, none of this happens. Without connection, there's people who may not see and encounter the love of God. Without connection, people may not experience true fulfillment 
Because, I mean, what better place and opportunity is there than the church to give of yourself? And so the more people that we have here, the more that we can do out there and within the church. Does that make sense? The more things that we can commit to in the community to help and to give back. And I'm telling you, I'll say it again. When I reached a certain point in my life, I realized that it's not about all this stuff. Listen, how many like their bills paid? Yeah, how many like a decent meal? Come on. But other, I guess above that sometimes, we've been sold this idea in a culture that's just built on consumerism to buy more, get more, have more, that that's what brings happiness and joy, and it doesn't. True fulfillment, I've learned, comes from giving of yourself. You received that this morning? Say, I love my church. Awesome, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, as always, for this opportunity that we have to just get together, to be together, to assemble together. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here this morning because we're here. There's no special song. There's no special routine that makes you be here. You are already here because you're within us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to each and every one of our hearts this morning, and even those online and those who may see this later, that through this series, I Love My Church, that we're seeing the validity of the church, that it's real, it's necessary, it's needed. And we're needed as a part of the body of Christ. If there's anyone who's maybe searching, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you're leading them to the place. Maybe Faith City isn't the place, or maybe it is, but the place where they can sow their time, talent, and treasure, where they can give of themselves, where they can experience true fulfillment. After all, the kingdom of God, it's a place of rest. It's a place of peace. It's a place of joy. It's all built on love. And the world needs all these things. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, I know you're always speaking. Speak to me. What is my part in your body? In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.